Cities produce more than 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Big cities get a lot of attention, but most household emissions in the U.S. actually come from communities outside urban cores, making them critical players in climate mitigation and climate justice. City Climate Corner explores how these small and mid-sized cities are tackling climate change and moving toward an equitable and sustainable future. I'm Abby Finnis. And I'm Larry Kraft. We're co-hosts for City Climate Corner. Hey, Abby. Hey, Representative-elect Larry Kraft. <laughs> are you even going to talk to me anymore? <laughs> Excuse me, who are you? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Election was pretty exciting here in Minnesota for climate-related stuff, for many things, but certainly for climate-related stuff. It was a surprise. Yeah, Minnesota put Democrats in control of the House and the Senate and kept the governor. And for folks working on climate, it's a huge (laughs) sigh of relief because uh, a lot of people have been working for a long time to try to get uh, more done at the legislature. So now we've got a few climate candidates in there. We do. We do. We had our first caucus meeting last night. Super excited to get to work next year. We get sworn in on January 3rd. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. Yes. Something else that is exciting is that we are doing an episode today on Freiburg, Germany. Yeah. And so, Abby, do you like Freiburg a little bit? You know, I did. So this is our last episode of my trip to the Netherlands and Germany and Spain. And uh, we actually aren't going to do an episode on Barcelona, but everybody should check out the super blocks. I think, I think Freiburg won my heart more than any other the other cities. And so very excited about this episode. And it's just a really cool city. And I loved talking to Sophie in this interview. She's dynamic and really interesting. So I was staying at an Airbnb on one part of town and met up with her after work. And I took one of the shared bikes over there to the central train station where there's this massive bike garage. She's getting off the train from Switzerland. And then we meet at a restaurant that's on the rooftop of the bike garage at the central train station. So it's just kind of a cool multimodal space and easy to bike to, easy to walk to and just get around. And it's just, it's so nice to be able to do that. Such a cool thing for you. And it's just lunch, normal day-to-day stuff. Right. I think that the mobility, the proximity to the Black Forest and, and natural spaces, you know, I was there in, in June and, and now here we are in November. It's probably not as green, but, you know, it has great urban tree canopy coverage and just absolutely a lovely, lovely city to visit for sure. And I'm, I'm sure that residents there are probably pretty happy too. This does close out our European episodes and I just really appreciate everybody who helped connect me with folks in different cities and those who took the time to speak with me, gave me tours, um, and then come and join us on the podcast. And for Freiburg, Florian in the the city office was also very helpful in in making this connection with Sophie. And so just want to send a big thank you uh, to everybody who has been involved and really appreciate it. And there's so much to learn and share and and we're happy to do that here on the on the podcast. Well, Let's do this. Let's listen. Let's do it. 
Today we are speaking with Sophie Schwer, city council member in Freiburg, Germany. Welcome to City Climate Corner. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm 31 years old and I'm on the city council for the Green Party. I was elected in 2019, so pretty recently. Also, yeah, I'm pretty new to the to the field of politics. I have a I have a great field, I think. So I'm responsible for energy and waste management, construction, all kinds of um, relevant fields for climate protection. And since I studied environmental science, I'm I'm very comfortable in in this new field. Even though politics is very different from studying environmental science, it's it's a great place to get active and to do something. When I was telling people that I was going to Freiburg among other places, those who have been to Freiburg, their eyes would light up and they were like, oh, I love Freiburg. And now I am one of those people. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to live there and what makes it so nice? Sure. I'm from the north of Germany. It's the poorer part of Germany, definitely. So I was amazed when I came here because it's such a lovely city. The old town is very medieval looking and the city is 900 years old. And it's close to the Black Forest, so it's the city of the Black Forest. So it's also great for mountain biking and hiking and all kinds of things that nature lovers do enjoy. And politically, it's very pleasant to live here because it's been a university town for a long time. So it's been a think tank also for progressive ideas. It's always young people in the city, very active, bringing forward new ideas and I think the Green Party in Germany was born in this area because there were huge protests against the first nuclear power plant that was planned here. So I feel like there is a huge environmental consciousness uh, in the area. And that means that if you are interested in climate protection, there is a lot of ideas that you can test in this city because the population is very open to all kinds of actions in this field. Maybe to give a little examples, we are we are the best in Germany to separate our waste, stuff like that. So people live that in their everyday life. So excited to talk to you, Sophie. I'm also a relatively new city council member here in St. Louis Park. I was elected in 2019. Elections here for city council are nonpartisan, so we're not technically affiliated with a party. Although I did run on a climate platform, so probably something that would sync with the kind of things that you ran on. So I'd love to hear about your experience working on climate issues as a council member. You noted that you have some specific area of focus on council too, which is, I think, different from here, as um, I don't have an assigned area of focus, though I certainly do a lot of stuff on climate. Yeah, maybe it makes sense to say a few words about the organization um, of the city council. Freiburg has 230,000 inhabitants and the size of the city council is connected to the size of town. So in, in Freiburg, that means we have 48 people on the city council. Oh my gosh. And they are also not necessarily connected to a party even though we have the conservatives and the social democrats and the green party but we have also lists that are called Freiburg Lebenswert or something like sometimes they have only one topic they actually deal with so we have we have both and the green party is by far the largest part so we have 13 out of 48 seats and the next biggest one has only 6 seats we're kind of in the middle and then we are also the biggest fraction which means there is no majority right or left 
from the Green Party, which is great if you want to <laughs> really change stuff because usually you can decide a lot and it's a very comfortable position in this uh, legislation for the Green Party. So among us, 13 people, we, of course, we have a few people who are teachers or who have a lot of kids or who've been architects. So everybody has his own field of expertise. And of course, with 13 people, we share a little bit the responsibilities. So not everybody has to be super on top in every topic. And with my background, obviously, I'm doing the field of environment and energy. And we also have some municipal corporations like an energy supplier or the waste management corporation. So I'm on the board of these two, which also means that you are much more included in the decision making maybe than another member who's not on the board. But maybe we have an architect and he's on the board of the municipal housing corporation, so which makes sense, right, with his background and his knowledge. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, where I live is 50,000 people. Yeah. We're a suburb of a much larger city of about 400,000, but there are just seven of us on council. Mm -hmm. Although the city is fairly progressive, while we're nonpartisan, we're all pretty ideologically similar, which makes it good in terms of being able to do things on climate. There's pretty strong backing for it. Do you find, it sounds like there is, but that there's a strong political will to implement climate action in Freiburg? I think in general, you could say so. For example, let's say on a national level, maybe the conservatives are not known to be very environmentally oriented. But I feel like within the conservatives, the Freiburg ones are the most progressive in the party. But when it comes to actually making decisions that are harsh, when it comes to raising parking fees, for example. That's an uncomfortable topic, right? Mm. Nobody likes that. Like raising fees everywhere is uncomfortable. So we had a law in, in Germany that said that a public parking space, so not a fixed one, but you get a little badge in your car and then you can use one of these spots. That was ridiculously cheap. That was 30 euros a year. And that was the law that the city can, not nobody else can change. So that was just the law. And then last year, they changed the law that every city can now decide how high the fee should be for the parking. And then, of course, the <laughs> environmental NGOs and the Green Party, they wanted to really raise this fee because it should reflect the actual price, right? Mm -hmm. It should reflect the environmental costs that parking your private car outside in public space should be. And then the idea of the Green Party was to put that to 360 euros per year which is still cheap compared to what public transport costs or what, you know, an actual parking space in a garage costs. But it's 12 times more <laughs> than what it costs now. So that was, even for me, that was a funny experiment to see what the public discussion was like. And actually, we had a very, very close majority. So it was very close in the end. I think it was one or two votes. But uh, with the left wing and the young people, as mm -hmm. I said, it's not all parties, but it's there was a very, a very small majority. Did you actually raise it to 360? Yes, we now made it to 360. And actually after Freiburg, also some other cities followed because actually it's still a, a big issue in the city council. So, of course, the ones who wanted to have it at, at 180 euros, they tried to 
raise the, the issue again and then renegotiate. But actually the reaction from the people was quite fine. So we didn't get a lot of resistance from the people. Actually, a lot of people have parking spots on their own area, on their own land, mm-hmm. uh, which they now use maybe for other stuff, like keeping stuff in the garage and then parking outside because it's more comfortable. So when it got more expensive, they just put the car in the garage again. Yeah, it changed the user behavior a lot. So we can see that less registrations took place after we changed that. But that's what we wanted, right? So we wanted people to rethink how they use public space. We wanted people to rethink if they really need a car. And at the same time, of course, we uh, invested a lot of money in our tram system. Is that the same in English? Mm -hmm. And we improved the bicycle lanes a lot. So we put 16 million into a huge infrastructure program for bicycle lanes. Did that come from the additional parking fees? Yes, exactly. That's what what we use the money for. I can certainly sympathize that touching parking is often an emotional topic in america even more right (laughs) 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 although germans germans love their cars so yes well in st louis park in most places the parking on the streets there's no charge so if you're talking about adjusting putting more bike lanes in taking away parking people can get pretty passionate about that what are other ways that city government itself there is maybe walking the talk on climate action. Is there a new city hall there, I understand? Yeah, of course. We The city has their own infrastructure, uh, a lot of buildings, mostly schools, some kindergartens and city halls. And we started a program in putting uh, as much photovoltaic on these buildings as possible. We try to do more sustainable construction, you know, cement is worse for the environment than, for example, timber construction that actually binds CO2. So we do all our kindergartens in timber construction now. And we try to have new buildings in like plus energy standards mostly or passive house standards. I think the most important change since some um, 2019 that we that we did is we have a, a fund for climate projects. So we call that our climate protection fund. And that has been in existence for a long time, but it's been in the beginning, it's been 3 million per year, and then it's been 6 million. And now, with the support of Fridays for Future, we doubled that to 12 million. And we also changed the system, um, what we do with the money, because what we want politically is, of course, we want to save as much CO2 per euro, right? Mm It's not easy in the administration, you know that probably from your own town, to to get the money in the best projects because you have different departments and then there should be like fairness and equal treatment between these departments. So maybe everybody gets a share, even though not everybody has the same impact on climate protection, but you don't want to give all the climate protection money to the construction department, for example, because that will raise issues with maybe other departments. So what we did there was we established a a council of experts who are outside of Freiburg. So they're not somehow, they don't have any economic interests in Freiburg. And we did a competition. So we said every office, like the environmental office or the civil engineering office, and also the municipal corporations like the energy or the waste management provider, but also the tram, so the public transport corporation, 
all the swimming pools. We have all kinds of municipal <laughs> corporations and offices. They can all uh, submit ideas on how they want to contribute to climate protection. And the, the requirements are it needs to be additional climate protection, not something that is required. After the last election, we got a new government in Germany that is more environmentally friendly. For example, they raised the energy standards for construction. So our municipal construction corporation, they cannot apply for the extra money they need now to fulfill the new requirements because they are by law, so they're not additional for us. But for example, if they say they want to do residential housing in timber construction to save CO2, and that costs 6% more than con conventional construction, that is something they could apply for. And then all this idea from all different parts and mobility and let's say the civil engineering department wants to do more bicycle lanes or the energy supplier wants to do a new photovoltaic thing on a parking lot, for example, something that is really additional. They all can apply. And then this external board of advisors or of experts, they will rank all the ideas. And then, of course, until the 12 millions are, <laughs> are gone or are spent, the winners of this competition will get the money and also the staff, because, you know, you're often as a politician, you think you have a great idea, but actually the people working in the field usually have the best ideas. So we thought it would be nice to have a competition between all the offices and all the corporations rather than giving out political ideas that should be funded by this, by this money. Such an interesting idea. We started, where I live, something we call the Climate Investment Fund, but we just started it two years ago with a half a million U.S. dollars. Over time, we have to figure out an ongoing funding source for it. Love the idea of the competing for the best projects. Yeah, I think every politician is a bit tempted to do something like a signature project mm -hmm. that you can point to and say, well, this is what I did, and if you want this to keep going, you should vote for me again. But actually, a lot of the stuff that it would be good for the climate is not politically sexy. It's infrastructure and places that people don't really see it. Photovoltaic on the roofs, nobody sees that. Or construction with other building materials. I mean, nobody sees the difference, right? It's it's not really visible. So if you want the the money spent the best way for the climate, it makes sense to separate that from political decision-making on a daily business because everybody's only elected for five years here and has maybe a different agenda than what would be best in long-term investments for climate protection. Yeah, this should be working quite well. And I think for the offices and for the municipal corporations, the interesting part is that it's not only money, but they can also apply for staff positions if, for example, I say I want to do a lot of construction in timber now, then you might need an expert in, you know, how to do that. So you can also apply for two new positions in your department. And that's a very good incentive for the offices to actually think about what they can do for climate protection. Hey, we're taking a quick break to say if you like what you're hearing, please support us. You can do so by clicking the support us link on our website at cityclimatecorner.com or you can go to our store and get some cool merch. I appreciate your view there. The comment you made about a politician might want a big shiny project. 
really the thing that matters is that you've set up a process that will work beyond your time on council, your time serving. Yeah, I feel like that's what's been wrong with climate protection so far. It's always too short term. We also need to install processes that make sure that this works for longer than five years. All the infrastructure changes that we need, you know, they will take time, especially when I'm thinking about the tram system, mm-hmm. just ordering the wagons or whatever they, they're called. <laughs> and the train cars, yeah. All the planning of the lines and everything, it, it takes much longer than one legislation. All these things need to be funded long term. And then, of course, there's also politically interesting is usually doing something that people can relate to. And we have some of these things too, right? We, For example, we have this climate district thing where we choose one residential area and then we try with a lot of a program to, to get people to do a new insulation in their house. Or there is also a families who can apply for giving up their car for one month and then try how it how it works. And then they can win something if they make it through that time, stuff like that. All these lifestyle things are great politically and they do a lot, you know, with people's mind. But until you really save CO2, you need to, to invest a lot of money and time. And these infrastructure projects, I think they are politically less interesting, but that's our task, right? To provide the infrastructure that it's not up to every individual to make the right choices every single day, but to provide an infrastructure that allows you not to make any wrong choices at all. Oh, I love that point. Yeah. The thing I think I struggle about with Freiburg is there are so many things that are going on. And so like, what do you <laughs> want to pick and focus on? For me personally, and in, in my experience there, the two things that stood out the most was the natural spaces and the ease of mobility and getting around. How has the city been able to maintain such a strong urban forest and a really rich biodiversity there? I mean, Freiburg has always obviously been connected very closely to the forest, right? It's been the livelihood of the whole area for a long time. I think this and vineyards, and there's also been some silver, but it's basically the black forest that has been the income for a lot of people here for a long time. And I feel like the sustainability is derived from forestry, right? So I think there there might be a connection there too. But it's true that they started very early on to do climate adaptation as well as climate protection in the forest here. The forest also provides water and everything that you would need for a healthy city as well. And the public spaces... Yeah, that's surprising, actually, because we have a shortage in area, because we have, we have the mountains surrounding the city. The city cannot grow mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot anymore. I think that's also something that always the population has requested from the local government, that there's a lot of green spaces and a lot of... Like, every time you need to cut down a tree here for something, you have a lot of protest. So you have people, you know, chain themselves to the trees and everything. We have a new residential area that we want to build, and there is, I think, four hectares of forest that are supposed to be felled for this. And it's a huge issue here. And there are people living in tree houses there. Every time we have trees being felled, even if they're sick or something, there's a lot of questions and emails that we get because people are very concerned about, I would say, every single tree. I mean, it really does feel like the identity of the city. You look everywhere and it's just so green and, and lush. And yeah, it has to be some level of protection and maintaining that healthy urban forest. We just had the issue that 
we had some bicycle lane that they wanted to broaden because it was like one meter and 20 and it should be two meter and 50 now for everybody to feel safe while cycling. So then they would have had to fell a bunch of trees there. And then the protests were so big that they actually changed the whole planning. And now they have the bicycle lane and the trees and then the cars have less space. Often the cars lose. <laughs> so they have to clear the street with a tram line now. Yeah, I think that those kinds of conflicts come up. Trees versus solar, trees versus how are you going to use the other space? That's interesting that it was able to come up with that compromise and squeeze cars out. Yeah, it's actually now this week is uh, we have this heat wave in Europe at the moment. I'm sure you've heard today it's 35 degrees. Tomorrow is going to be 37 degrees. Our city is not built for these temperatures, as you can imagine. <laughs> so the trees are getting even more in, in focus or even more appreciated now that summers are getting so hot because they actually make a huge difference. They really do. Yeah, it can be up to 15 degrees Fahrenheit warmer in areas without trees. I basically biked and walked and, and took the tram all over Freiburg and it was so easy and so great. Yeah. I just want to know the pathway to how the city got there because I was looking through the graphic that's in the sustainability report where it shows starting in 1982 up to 2016 and the car share for personal vehicles went from 39% down to 21%. And it looks like bikes have really been the main mode that have made up that gap. And so they went from 15 to 34%. And you mentioned before, you know, some of the investment is going into adding bike lanes, but what was that pivotal point to start adding more uh, modes of transportation in the community and making that the easy choice for residents? I mean, that started a long time before I got into politics, of course. I know that a long time ago, the, the place of, around the Münster, so the central church, was a parking lot too. So there are photographs of that. But I think it has, of course, something to do with the progressive government making the choice that we have a car-free city center and then investing in bicycle lanes and stuff. But it also has to do with the inhabitants of Freiburg and that being a lot of pensioners and that being a lot of students, so people maybe who don't have that much money and don't have a car. I think 40% of the households at Freiburg don't own a car. It does make sense to have not all the infrastructure centered or focused on the car. Mm -hmm. It's simply much cheaper to take the bike or walk. So if you have a huge part of the population who doesn't own a car, it's very easy to design infrastructure in a way that's maybe different from other German cities. If you go to Stuttgart, for example, everything's made for mobility with a car. And you said, of course, you enjoyed going around by a bike and by the tram. But if, if you start entering the city by car, you would see it's also not much fun. I mean, there's not a lot of parking spaces anymore. And you have to go really slow. And then all the cycling people, you have to watch. Like It's not pleasant to drive a car through the city center of Freiburg, even if you're allowed to. It seems like the fastest way to get somewhere is by bike. And it's just so easy. That's definitely true. Yeah. The only couple of times we took the tram, uh, it was raining. So we had to like duck out and get on the train. Yeah. Same. Same as me. And then actually, you know, <laughs> maybe another reason is that uh, the rent is so high here. So if you can save money on a car, you can you can pay the rent better. I mean, yeah. Transportation costs. You do save a lot of money if you don't own a car. How much more can the city continue to improve the cycling infrastructure? What are its priorities around that? They can improve more, but I think we will reach a point 
because we are not only a city for Freiburg people, we are also the center of the region. We're surrounded by rural areas, by villages where life without a car is not possible. And these people, of course, also want to do their shopping here or they want to go to the hospital, see the doctors, go to the pharmacy, whatever they need to do, <laughs> come to school. And I think we can do a lot with regional trains or with park and ride places on the entrances of the city everywhere. And I think for 10 kilometers, maybe it makes also sense to have the super bicycle infrastructure. But um, we will always have people, maybe elderly or some people always be dependent on a car, if that's electric cars or if that's autonomous vehicles, whatever. But there will be cars going in and out of Freiburg and there needs to be infrastructure for that, of course, too. So I think at some point we will reach the limit, but we are not there yet. As you've talked about, and as Abby noticed there, there's been a lot of action taken over the years in Freiburg to improve sustainability and climate action. You talked a little bit about some of the funding for it over the past few years from this increased parking fee, but I imagine there's other sources as well. Where does funding come from? Of course, since the Green Party has been strong here for a long time, there's always been a part of the municipal budget that's been used for projects. But the label of the green city is also helping to get funding from other government levels, like from the federal level, maybe. I think we also did a lot of pilot projects here that we got funding from the federal government. I think a lot of ideas have been developed here. For example, we have the concept of the green industry park one of our industry areas, we labeled Green Industry Park and we tried to, we let the companies share um, their experience in, you know, saving resources, saving water, stuff like that. Also, we have one company that has a lot of waste heat. So we're using this waste heat for the other companies, for their processes. So the idea is to connect neighboring companies who were based in the same industrial area to find synergies between their companies, also in training people, of course, but especially when it comes to energy and resources, you often find synergies. Do I understand that there's a utility fee of some sort that you use on your power utilities? I think that's a little bit of a complicated concept because our energy supplier is not fully owned by the city of Freiburg. It is owned by the city of Freiburg, uh, I think 35%, but it's actually like a corporation with 80 other municipalities, very small villages sometimes, but they all together own the energy provider. And of course, the money that they make, a share of that goes into the budget of the city of Freiburg. And also, I think they pay something that we call a concession fee that they use municipal infrastructure, you know. That is actually the 12 million that we based our climate protection for. The original idea was that we take half the money that we get from our energy provider for this concession fee, that we use this for climate protection projects. That was the original idea. And now we actually separated that because the concession fee might be going down at some point. So the 12 million that I mentioned earlier, that is actually based on this. Yeah, your concession fee. We have something here called franchise fees, which is the fee we charge utilities to use our infrastructure to deliver their service. Yeah, that's the same thing, I guess. But our utilities are private. They're not owned by the city at all. Yeah, we are very lucky. One economy was 
down. I think a lot of municipalities sold their energy providers. And we're very lucky because, of course, the energy supplier is one of our most important players in reaching our climate targets. One example is we're thinking now or we are in the process of using geothermal energy for heating the place. We started that before the before the crisis in the Ukraine, but you know, it's becoming more and more important to do that, especially because of course our new residential areas that we're building, they are like fueled by fossil-free energy, but for the old parts of town, there will be no other way to have fossil-free energy there because the whole infrastructure is built in a way that we can only hope to find fossil-free heat to put in the system there and this could be geothermal energy but since we had a few earthquakes here that were initiated by other forms of geothermal energy we've had some issues here in introducing that idea again but now it's going very well and i think the climate protection movement and recent events are helping the the process of of the climate friendly heat The last question that we want to ask you about is looking ahead, and you've mentioned some of these residential developments that are happening, and I think the big one that's planned is is the Dietenbuck district, and that is intended to be a carbon neutral district, right? Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Freiburg is one of the cities in, in Germany where we have lots of new people moving here every year, so that has a huge effect on rent levels. And even though we're trying everything we can to keep that down, a few years ago, the city decided actually with a public decision, you know, with like collecting signatures and everything, they decided we want a new district. Also for environmental reasons, because if we don't have people living in an urban district here in Freiburg, densely built and energy efficient and everything what we observe what is happening is that people move to places close around and then they have all their one family houses built somewhere in the countryside which creates a lot of traffic because people need to go in and out of freiburg for work and grocery shopping and we thought that actually the ecological footprint would be smaller if we managed to put all these people in one district that has very high energy standards, we have a mobility concept that is like the Vauban district, maybe here in Freiburg, very reduced in cars. It has excellent access to public transport. Actually, the tram line is built first so that nobody even needs to buy a car in the first place when they move there because the city thought if you if you can start with a good bicycle lane and, and a tram line, then there's more incentive for people to not buy a car in the first place. It's a concept where we try to have everything that you need in walking distance. So like pharmacies and shopping and doctors and also job opportunities that you have it on the ground floor. And then you have the housing on top. So the idea is that you will not need a car to get everything done, but you can just do everything by by walking um, to the place you need or even to work. And the kindergarten and school also should be in this district. I think that's that's a modern development. I think in the old days, they planned residential areas here and then industrial areas there. And then that created a lot of traffic. And I think we all try to reduce traffic here. And then one new factor maybe for the Dietenbach that, that the Green Party is particularly proud of is that we try to factor in something that is not factored in anywhere yet that's the problem of the gray energy construction 
we always think about energy standards, but that's only the user phase of the building. But then we also have the construction phase and the end of the lifespan of a house. So we try to have an incentive for architects and people who want to build in, in Dietenbach to use less gray energy. And the idea is that we have something like a calculator where you put in your plans, the plans for your house, and then you can actually play a little bit around with it and try different things like different shapes or different building materials, and it will tell you what the effect on the gray energy is. And then we will have a minimum that you cannot use more than a certain amount of gray energy for the house. And in fact, we're not uh, selling the land to the highest bid, but we give the land to the best project. We call that concept-based yeah, procedure. I'm actually not sure what we call that in English. So it's not it's not about the highest amount of money that we get for the land, but it's about the best concept. And then, of course, there's several factors like, you know, social housing, affordability, maybe inclusive. So also for people with disabilities or maybe more generations in one building. Like there's a lot of like social aspects also, but also environmental aspects like energy efficiency and gray energy, and also maybe uh, greening of the walls or the roofs, stuff like that. So that all should factor in and make make a project that makes sense, and then the the winner gets the best the best slot. Seems that Freiburg is very competition driven. We're very much interested in ec- ecological innovation because for a lot of environmental problems, there are different solutions. You know, if you want to say, well, uh, a heat pump is a very good solution for energy efficiency or for and then you tell everybody to do heat pumps and then maybe for that space or for that family or for that area it's not even the best solution you just you just set a goal and then you tell people however you get there you apply with your idea and if it makes sense then you can realize your project so i think we are very much a fan of setting the goal rather than setting a certain technology because maybe in two years there will be a better technology for that and then the planning process for projects is longer than what we can oversee so for us the the competition usually is a good way to find the best solution for this particular problem yeah i like that as a way to drive innovation yeah i like the set the goal not the technology yeah let the people closest to it figure out what's best Any final thoughts or advice you have for other cities or other council members in other cities? For other council members? There might be one listening right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like to get support for environmental projects, it's often, not always, but very often it makes sense to look at the economical side of it and to, to tell people what they can win or how much money they can save if we do that now instead of not doing that now and then paying the the reparation later on. Because I feel like we have a lot of discussion, of course, after COVID, I'm sure that's the same everywhere in the in the world. The budget is getting smaller and smaller with climate adaptation and with the COVID crisis or with inflation going up and everything. In the end, you need to set priorities in the political process and then when it comes to priorities, if it's not something that's very that's perceived as very urgent, and for some people that still is not, then it makes sense to to collect the arguments on the economical side with photovoltaic or with infrastructure investments. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. This has been really great. Really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, thank you. All right, Abby. Great conversation. What did you think? Well, if it isn't obvious by now, I love Freiburg. <laughs> and I think, you know, this conversation just underscores a lot of the reasons why it's having a lot of success, I think, with sustainability measures. And it's just kind of a lovely place to live, I imagine, for folks who live there and certainly a great place to visit. You know, I really appreciate Sophie coming on. I think she's a really good ambassador to the city and is great at sharing all of the things that they're doing. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing, some of the stuff I resonated with, but when she talked about having an infrastructure that allows you to make the right choice easily, where it's almost not possible to make a bad choice, I think that encapsulates the systemic problems that we have, mm -hmm. right? When people mm -hmm. want to make individual action and it's hard, too hard to do. Yeah, because we have the, the opposite in place right now. We have... We make it easy for people to hop in their car. We make it easy to do things that are harmful versus the things that we want to do tend to have more barriers in place. And then you can almost get guilt on top of that. Like, oh, I should be reducing my personal carbon footprint, which we should all try to do. But you also have to recognize that we're in a system that doesn't make that easy enough yet. Yeah, I, I think along with that, just creating... Uh, kind of a framework, the competition framework within and across the, the city departments as well was something that stood out to me as an innovative way to get your staff to be thinking about climate and be thinking about what their role is and, and putting forth proposals that are competing with other proposals, right? Hopefully at the end of the day, you get the best proposals and you put the funding that's available to those projects that are going to be the most effective. And I also think about that as a cool tool to use. I think we hear from staff people here often uh, who might be in a sustainability position that they don't get buy-in always from other staff across different departments. And I think that this could be a really cool way to get that buy-in and tie it to performance or tie it to budget numbers and make it fun even hopefully and get more people to get on board and, and want to push forward projects that are beneficial. Right. It's an example of a process they set up. And we talked a little bit about this, about not being so worried about the politician's shiny project, but having a process in place that outlives your term, but that really reinforces the kind of things that we need to do from a climate perspective. I think that's a really good thought process. Yeah. And it sounds like they're taking somewhat of a similar approach to the development in Dietenbach where they're putting up criteria and then you get those points and that's who will get to develop some of these spaces. And I did want to just add a little bit. Um, Sophie mentioned Vauban District. We wanted to talk about that a bit more, but just didn't have time for it because they're just doing too many things in Freiburg. But it's a cool district that used to be a French military base and community members there wanted a sustainable development. And so in 1997, the late 1900s for those younger listeners. Um, <laughs> Wait, it's the late 1900s even for us older listeners too. <laughs> <laughs> um, they wanted a, a sustainable development. And so this one is 
low car ownership. So there's a lot of really good mobility happening there. There's a lot of solar, biomass district heating, sustainable building materials. And what I really liked about it is that it felt like you were both out of the city and in this kind of park community, but it was also very much connected to the city. And so it was very easy to get around a cool little residential neighborhood that's adjacent to a commercial area. So with Dietenbach, it sounds like there's some replication, I think, happening there and thinking through what is a more ecologically friendly development sites. That's one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, interesting. Other thing sort of related to that about the way their infrastructure, you talked about the tree huggers there, right? Or how Mm -hmm, much they mm -hmm. protect trees. And I love that they had this situation where there's a bike lane tree conflict and it was resolved by shrinking the space for cars. Yeah. Oh, yes, right? Start from what you really want, pedestrian bike infrastructure, and then what's left after that is for cars. Yeah, and we didn't talk about it in this conversation, but in my conversation in person with Holger at Ickley Europe, he had this really great concept of, we've thought about roads from the inside out, and so what do we need for cars? and we just push all the rest of the space to the side. And so everything else shrinks for trees, for walking, for biking, for mobility. But we need to think about it from the outside in. And that's exactly what they're doing there, right? It's like, okay, trees and then pedestrians and bikes. And we'll squish that space for cars a bit more. And in a city where 40% of the population, they don't have cars, it works. And so creating that space and again, reinforcing what the easy decision is makes those those kinds of changes possible. Love it. And I do, I love the protection of trees because they are so important for taking up carbon and air pollution, as well as providing habitat, um, helping us adapt to climate change, providing shade, all of those things. And so I just really appreciate how much they do care for their urban forest. And I think it starts from the protection in the Black Hills Uh, So you have this greenery all around and the hills and there's really no development in that forest and it's a lot of hiking trails and stuff. And then it carries down into the city and so it just makes for a really beautiful, enjoyable place. Got to go to Freiburg. Got to go on a train, (laughs) low emissions. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode of City Climate Corner. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe and give us a review. If you're able, become a monthly supporter through Patreon. As always, you can find more information on this topic and resources from each episode's guests on our webpage, cityclimatecorner.com. If you have an idea for the show, send us an email at cityclimatecorner at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. City Climate Corner is produced by Abby Finnis and me, Larry Kraft, edited by me. Music by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.